as you know, we're in the middle. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, we are in Second Timothy. And we are looking at Paul's last recorded words. Um, he's writing to a, a good friend, a comrade, a person that he loves dearly, um, a person who is a pastor, a person who, uh, for the most part, uh, has been by his side for a long time. But for whatever the reason, maybe he hasn't been talking with Paul, maybe he hasn't been around uh, for a while, but but Timothy's a little discouraged. And that happens in ministry. All of you, you don't even have to be in ministry, but life is hard. And so there's a few things that he is literally forgetting. So Paul's reminding him, and he's sharing his heart, recognize again that Paul is in a very pathetic situation. He's in the dungeon of dungeons. He is chained. He is in a place, again, that uh, he has no freedom at all and is literally waiting to be executed. Now, we don't know when he was killed after this letter, but we do know it did happen pretty, pretty soon afterwards. So we're literally, Michelle, we're, we're sad that you know, dirty laundry is like right in front of you and, you know, you give them a whack and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. So we're going through verse by verse and we're just seeing what uh, Paul is saying. What's he, what is he emphasizing? What's important to him? Maybe it's a wake up call for every one of us. Um, you're not necessarily a pastor. You're not necessarily waning. You're not necessarily in a church that is the biggest and most thriving church in the area. But the church and Timothy needed a kick in the drawers. So our hope, more than anything, <laughs> you're going right in front, that's good. Our hope, more than anything, is that you understand what Paul's trying to say and that you apply it to your life. The result, as we prayed for, is transformation. Anytime you open up God's Word, anytime that God's Word is being spoken, being read, um, we trust that it isn't just information. If it becomes information, um, you become fat. Okay, it's a, it's a lot of food, a lot of carbs. You will just, you know, over, you know, you get bloated and, and spiritually bloated and not worth much. So what we're hoping for more than anything is that you're able to take this food. It transforms you from the inside out and that uh, God does some amazing things in and through you. My expectations for this class are pretty simple. I'm asking you to keep reading this text, that you look at it, um, that, that it's on your mind. Uh, I just think, again, it will be a lot different as we read through some of the things. I'm asking that you take notes, and I'm asking that you pass it on. Um, not sure if it's a small group situation, not sure if it's just across the table, but as God teaches you, one of the things that will happen naturally and normally is that you share what God's doing in your life. So that's what we're hoping is doing. Once we got into the text, um, we saw that Paul was an ambassador. He loved to be able to represent Christ. He was sharing 
uh, his relationship with God and who God was even from the prison cell. We saw that Timothy, well, had an amazing amount of faith. But we also know that as a result of some of the pressures in ministry or some of the pressures in life, whatever it was, that, that Timothy needed some encouragement. So Paul started right in. He said, hey, fan into flame something that, that I know that God has given you. Use the gifts that you have. Keep your gifts hot. Don't start putting them aside, but using them. I want to also remind you that that Holy Spirit is so available to you. Um, use that resource. We chatted through that and talked about what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Then he went hardcore and basically said, don't ever be ashamed of the gospel and don't ever be ashamed of me. That is something that's so amazing. It's important. It is something that will give you power and perspective and strength for each day. I also want you to know you need to accept suffering. In light of all these things, we started last week talking about what a faithful servant is. And we saw that a faithful servant is someone who is strong in, in the grace message. And someone who is not only strong in the grace message, but able to impart it or teach somebody else who will be able to be strong in the grace message so that they might be able to pass it on. So Paul really was modeling in his life and reminding Timothy what is critical or what is important. Paul's going to die very soon. He is giving his last bits of advice to Timothy. Now, if you would, open your Bible, 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 3. Here's where uh, the faithful servant um, encouragement continues. In fact, this, this next section, these next three verses are kind of fun. Um, many of you uh, have used this and spoken on it, uh, but this is just a good reminder of what's important to Paul. So he starts off, verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. First of all, uh, Paul uses the second illustration of what a faithful servant is. The first illustration was in chapter 2. Um, faithful servants are teachers. They're people that understand the gospel and pass it on. The second example of a faithful servant is a soldier. And he uses this metaphor that was so very familiar with all the folks around. Let me remind you a little bit about what soldiers look like. First of all, soldiers are never hired nine to five. You never see a soldier on a battlefield that says, hey, wait a minute, when are you off? What, what, what time are you, you know, how long are you working today? You know, sometimes when I go into Menards, because that's the store I normally go into, and, and there's people who are, you know, working the cash register, and uh, they look a little bit uh, forlorn. I say, hey, how long do you have to work? Oh, I only have two more hours, you know, then I'm out of this joint. There you go, okay, uh, that's good. A soldier never gets that question asked him. 
or her. It, it is when you are on the field, when you're in the war, sure there's times of sleep, sure there's times of rest, but it's not like you have any kind of clock to punch. Secondly, um, one of the things that's really important is that every soldier needs to be focused, cannot be distracted. In fact, the word here literally is in the passive, and it means to weave. So when Paul says this, um, you know, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ. All right? He's, he's focused on saying his soldiers don't get tied up. They don't get into um, being weaved. They're not distracted at all. Soldiers need to focus. They're not distracted. They're not caught up. They're not enmeshed. It's not, you know, something that um, they're going to be distracted about. Soldiers also obey and please their commander. You know, one of the things, if you just look at whether you just read about wars or you watch movies about wars, um, the one thing about a soldier is that although they're deployed, although they're focused, although sometimes they win, sometimes they don't, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a great sacrifice, but it's never about their own comfort, if you've noticed. And, and Paul starts right off just reminding him. He's already reminded Timothy so much that in this journey that you're going to travel, suffering is a prerequisite. It's a requisite. It's something that is going to happen. So a great illustration is a soldier. Soldiers usually don't get the queen beds, you know. Soldiers oftentimes can only take cat naps. They don't get the finer foods. You know, you, you, you know, look at some of the World War II um, movies and you get the K-rations and some of these other different things. You know, since Vietnam and so on, they've had a little bit better food out there. Um, they come in a squeeze tube, you know, some of those other more important things like that. But, you know, some of you have been going on diets and you sit there and you, and you think, wow, if I could just have a Big Mac again, or a Whopper, or a, you know, you just put it in, you know, whatever you want. But realistically, you know, soldiers are gone for six months, eight months, ten months. Sometimes they get to go on leave, but sometimes they don't. They're in a foreign country. It's usually hot, or it's colder than they're used to, or they have to wear more gear. Um, they've got to wear protection all the time now, body armor. You know, it's not at all like, you know, the mass unit where they're wearing T-shirts, you know, and, and they get to kind of walk around a compound even though bombs are, are exploding everywhere. The truth is, a soldier in the Roman government uh, sacrificed a whole lot. And Paul's just saying this, hey, you know what a faithful servant to God is? Just like a soldier. Put it in perspective. I don't think he's saying grow up, quit moaning, or any of those things. I get it. But what he is trying to paint a picture is, is that soldiers live a life of self-sacrifice. They literally give their lives up in order to protect 
their team, or their country. Think about it. Again, is that something that would um, describe you in your relationship with God, in your journey, in your walk? And this, again, isn't trying to bring guilt, but, but Paul was just really trying to say, hey, if you want me to paint a good picture... This is what I think following Jesus looks like. Now, he was in prison. <laughs> there, there wasn't a whole lot of comfort going on at that moment. But he's reminding him, Timothy, endure. Endure. Stay to the end. Recognize this is a long and a hard battle. That following Jesus and being in ministry and doing what, I'm asked, what God asks you to do is not going to to be easy. But I think the biggest thing about military, um, and, and that is at least their perceived respect of authority. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you see a soldier, and again, you can watch movies or whatever, but you know, you take a Marine, you take a, 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 you know, a soldier, and you, you know, watch how they respond to a commanding officer, anyone above them in rank. Now, of course, everyone would really respect generals, right, or admirals, depending on what, you know, part of the service you're in. But they will respect anybody that has one more stripe above you. And obedience is absolutely necessary to your commanding officer. In fact, the whole point of boot camp now, most boot camps, if I understand right, are about six weeks. Marines, you get 12 weeks, okay? Uh, they give you an extra few weeks there to make sure that you say yes, you know. But the truth is, the whole reason you go to boot camp is one thing, to beat you up, wear you down, so you just say yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That's what you do. You don't, you know, if you're in a certain position, a certain way or whatever, you are not actually supposed to think. It's not supposed to be logical. If, if a commander says, I want you to go take care of this scenario, I want you to go in this arena, I want you to take out this you know, flank or whatever, your response is, well, you know what, I think it might be better if I kind of go this direction. Can, can you imagine you know, a company doing that? Oh, wait, wait, who wants to go over there? Oh, I, I got four volunteers. You, you go that direction. You know, for one thing, if you raise your hand, you're dead, right? <laughs> okay. Don't do that again. You know, that is not a good thing. So you are, again, shouting. You're telling. You're whispering. If you're on special kind of, you know, um, ranger kind of units, you have all the ear, ear wear. And, and they're just either talking softly or all using hand signs, telling you where to go or what to do. But there's one guy. And you just do it. So here we are as Christians. Every one of us have our own opinions. Every one of us what we think we ought to be doing. Everyone believes again that, hey, we love Jesus and so on, and he's our king and he's our commander. But realistically, how many times when God asks us to do something in his word, very clear, we kind of justify or tell him, well, maybe, maybe it's better if I just do it this way. Or if I kind of listen in this direction. Now that's hard. 
But what Paul was saying in his last words, Timothy, would you hear me? If you're going to be a faithful servant, you're going to endure. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you need to listen to the commander no matter what. So he says, hey, faithful servants are teachers who are able to understand what the good news is and be able to help people understand it and pass it off. Also, good um, servants, faithful servants of God are just like soldiers. The next thing he says is that faithful servants are like athletes. This is pretty interesting. Look at verse 5. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. You know, faithful servants are like athletes. What, is, what does that mean? They train, they compete, but they follow the rules. The idea is that of a struggle that requires great determination to win. Athletes struggle, they contend, they compete, and they strive to win. Let me give you just a little bit of background. The Greeks at this time... Um, who were the Olympians, at least the idea that Paul had in his mind, um, if you were a Greek and you wanted to compete in the Olympic Games, there had to be three criteria, okay? First one is that you had to be a natural-born citizen. A non-Greek could not participate in the Olympics. Secondly, you had to train for ten months. Thirdly, you had to obey what the rules were. In other words, if it was a three-lap race, you had to run three laps. You couldn't stop at two and, and so on. You had to do what, um, what the rules stated. You know, faithful servants are like athletes. They, in some ways, if you look at this, need to be part of the family of God. They need some training. It is something, again, that, that will take some discipline. Uh, I'm not sure what they did for 10 months. I'm not sure how they supported them or, or whatever. But realistically, Paul, again, was just using an illustration that was so very common. And saying, you want to be a faithful servant? Well, you're going to need to be part of God's family. You're going to need some discipline. And you need, need to obey what the rules are. Faithful servants listen to who God or what God has to say and are obedient. They're trained. They take life a little seriously. And then in verse 6. And hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Farmers, again, not so many of us are understanding the whole farmer's life. But you know enough to understand what Paul actually is saying here. Farmers are hard workers. They have intense toil, it's exhausting, and it's inconvenient. Now, they don't work all the time, okay? You look at some farmers, and it depends on what kind of a dairy farmer they work every day. You know, it just doesn't matter. You have to milk, all right? But if you're a conventional farmer, all right, you have to take care of equipment during the winter. That's what they do. There's no planting when there's snow in the ground. We get that part, all right. There seems to be certain seasons, but smart farmers will always 
be working, thinking ahead. But there will be certain seasons that will be absolutely exhausting. There will. You know, if you have planting season, and again, we have a little bit more, shall we say, um, uh, opportunity to be great farmers because of fertilizer and because of irrigation, okay? But if you go back in this time period, there really wasn't irrigation, um, a few aqueducts here and there, but, but not really, okay? Uh, and there really wasn't any kind of fertilizer or any of those types of things. So realistically, when it was time to plant, they had to make sure all the seed got in the ground. And if it didn't get in the ground at a certain time or whatever, um, be late or, or not have enough time to germinate or whatever the deal was, um, they would lose that seed. So a farmer knew that at times it was going to be long hours, it was going to be hard work, and it would be intense. The only harvesting I've ever done is hay harvesting, okay? I know this, is that when you cut hay and then you bale it, if it rains on it, that crop is ruined, whatever that means, okay? I don't know if it's internal combustion that happens eventually. I don't know if it gets moldy inside. I'm, I'm not exactly sure of all the reasons. But I know this, is that especially at one camp I was at called Fort Wilderness, there was one thing that stopped everything, okay, and that was haying season. And when the hay bales were out, if there was any threat of rain, literally the whole picking camp would get in the trucks or whatever. We'd get on the tractors, we'd make sure that the hay got in, all right? It was that important because we'd lose the, lose the crop. So really what Paul is actually saying at this moment is saying, hey, you know what, you want to be a faithful servant? Again, this is... This is not necessarily easy words to hear. But farmers are hard workers. Farmers at times are exhausted because they have to work around weather and schedules. And when harvest is there, they have to put in the time or they're going to lose all the work that they put in. The one thing about a farmer is this too is not only do they work hard, but they are so dependent on God, if you really want to look at it that way. Again, not so much, and, and I don't mean this even irreverently, dependent on God, because, hey, if God doesn't send rain now, most farmers have, have a way around that. You know, I, I get it. But back then again, it's put your work in, and, and God, you got to make it happen. Because literally, if the... If, if there's grain to be coming in and hail hits, it's gone anyway, right? Or if for some reason you look at the weather and you're studying everything and, and it can't get wet and a rainstorm comes, you're in trouble. So I think, again, Paul's using a beautiful illustration saying, hey, you want to be a faithful servant? This is what faithful servants are. They're going to work like a dog at times during different seasons, but they're always going to be dependent upon God. There is going to be seasons that are less hectic, you know. And you can look at your lives. You can look at the life of the church. You can look at the life of the different ministries that you've been in, okay. Um, I really think mission trips look a little bit different than anything else. When I used to be up at camp during the summer, camping ministry is very different than church ministry. Um, there are certain things, you know, that happen here on a Sunday that, really don't happen here on a Wednesday morning. You know, there, there's just certain things that, that go on. 
Uh, there are certain opportunities when families are in crises, you know, that you work around the clock. There are certain scenarios, again, that are very difficult. But there's also times of rest, times of relaxation. But all times you're trusting God. So really, if we look at this, the Apostle Paul, he's in prison, chained, and he's saying, hey, Timothy, Timothy, I, you know, I just want to remind you one more time of a faithful servant. A faithful servant is just like a really good teacher that empowers and parts and knows the gospel and, and makes sure that, that their students really give it out. And you know what? Really good servants of God, faithful servants of God, they're, they're like soldiers. It's unbelievable. They're, they suffer. Everything is so inconvenient for the most part. And one of the things they really do well is listen to their commander. They, they just have, even if it doesn't make sense. I also want you to know that, well, a good servant of God, a faithful servant of God is like an athlete. You know, one who is disciplined, one that recognizes certain rules, things that, that you need to prepare for. And lastly, a really faithful servant of God, for the most part, is um, like a farmer. A farmer who works hard, toils endlessly at times, and is always dependent on God. Always dependent on God. You know, I think one of the things that I have been learning later than earlier is that I used to be a really good planner and make sure that everything was prepared well. And it could be a mission trip, it could be a youth ministry, it could be a church, it could be whatever, and you put it in. And sometimes it's planned so well that you actually plan God out of it. Now we would never say that, or I certainly wouldn't say that. But I think what God is teaching me more now is, go ahead and plan, Rick, but prepare more. And that might mean like, that may not mean like a big, or it may not mean much to you, but instead of planning, I prepare. And the reason is, is that God has a tendency to talk or to teach or to guide differently when you're ready and you can move ahead. Well, it seems like Timothy needs to hear about suffering some more. Now, I don't know, again, and some, author, or some commentators will say, Paul just really focused a lot on suffering because that was on his mind the whole time. I get that. But see, Paul, even when he wasn't in prison, talked about suffering. He really did. And I honestly think even in our culture, in our century, in, in, this, in this whole arena, we have to at least ask questions a little bit about what does it mean to suffer today? What, what does it mean to be a good soldier? What does it mean to work endlessly at some times? You know? I do think that there have been people in ministry and people that you've grown up with and people that you know who are workaholics. I get it. All right? But there is something about hearing God and knowing how often to put your hand to the plow and, and, and stay there. And when to rest or relax or um, refresh yourself. I get that. 
But Paul starts, and he really starts talking about suffering again. Verse 8 of chapter 2. Always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have become chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure everything if it brings salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those he has chosen. Well, faithful servants suffer. He said, I want you to always remember the resurrection. The resurrection is absolutely key. If you go back even in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul really spends a whole chapter there um, to the Corinthian church just reminding them that the resurrection is so important that if the resurrection really didn't happen, everything you do is worthless. All right. The good news is that Jesus Christ did die in your place and in my place. The good news is that God empowers each one of you. The good news is that you have abundant life, or at least the possibility, and the promise of eternal life coming. That's all good news. But it's good news because Jesus Christ on the third day rose from the dead and conquered death. Basically spit in the devil's eye and basically said, I am now victorious. I am just letting you know you have no authority anymore. I have resurrected from the dead. And so this, this resurrection is part of the good news. And what Paul is literally saying is that I am suffering because I preach the good news. I am suffering because I am letting people understand what the gospel of grace is all about. He's suffering because he is telling a different story to the religious and to the irreligious. All right, He is suffering because he's preaching the good news. He says, I am chained. And by the way, this is the only really direct reference to his suffering in the whole book. So if you want to hear about complaining, this is Paul's whole attitude about, about the suffering. He goes, by the way, I am chained. And he lets it go. He lets it go. It's pretty amazing. But then he, and it seems really odd, because as you're reading the letter, and most of you guys now you're reading through this, this seems like a little bit of a sentence that he just sticks in. Now, you and I both know that every word is inspired and every word means something, um, but it, it doesn't flow, it doesn't match the flow of the letter here. It, it just doesn't. So he's really talking about suffering. But then he says this, but I just want you to know, the word of God is not chained. It will never be chained like I'm chained. The word or the gospel can never be corralled. And any time Paul had an opportunity to be able to talk about what the gospel does, how the gospel gives power, how the gospel frees, how the gospel enlightens, how the gospel gives you an opportunity to, to live life on a different plane. This is such good news. Remember, he is overwhelmed with grace. And I asked you guys to read that paper about grace. And, and my hope is, is that grace just continues to permeate as you think, as you look at life, and as you continue to walk through life. But he says this, I am so willing to suffer or to endure anything. And I just want to stop there. I really do. Because Paul says this, I am so willing to suffer to endure, to have... It does not matter what happens to me. Anything that happens to me, it does not matter if it results 
in salvation. And it almost goes right back to that whole soldier thing. You know? I don't care if I have to sleep in a foxhole. I don't care if the food's not so good. I don't care if someone's shooting at me. I don't care. You can just put it in there. He goes, but I'm willing to suffer anything. Because you know why? I want people who are chosen by God, and some of you might get hung up by that, but, but we'll talk about it in a second. But those who are going to come to faith, or those who are of faith, I want them to experience salvation. Now what's really cool, we talked and we shared some terms earlier about justification and sanctification and glorification. We talked in Titus 2, 11, 12, and 13 how Paul looked at those three aspects of salvation. Alright? But really, I think he's talking about all three of the aspects again right here. Paul just... Paul is a master teacher because he just doesn't let things slide. He very rarely just says one thing and then lets it go. But he brings it back all the time. He's bringing, weaving in suffering. He goes, hey, I'm okay. I can endure anything because you know what? Johnny is going to benefit from it. He is either going to be justified, come to faith, or he's going to be sanctified. That means God is refining him and cleaning him and using him and changing him from the inside. Or it will result in glorification. Look, look what the verse says. It's kind of neat. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory. That this person will have eternal glory in Christ Jesus. That he will experience this new and this fresh life. So the chosen may experience salvation. Now again, um, some of you get hung up and, and just about... Everyone gets hung up somewhere. I, I have this study with uh, a group of guys on Thursday. And we are reading through the scriptures. And one of the things that happens is that as we read different parts of the scripture, guys will come and they'll share how their perspective of God changes. They'll share some things that doesn't, don't make sense to them. Or they will share some things that they're being disobedient about. Okay, we'll ask those specific questions. What's God asking you to do when you're not doing it? Okay, those types of things. Well, it never fails. You know, there are certain portions of Scripture that will come. And we'll, we just finished Ephesians chapter 1. And someone will say, man, I just don't get this predestination thing, you know. I, I don't understand how God chooses. Does that mean God chooses people to go to hell then? If He chooses people to go to heaven? And so on and so forth. And the truth is... That is a really hard thing to kind of understand completely. I, I, I honestly don't think anybody ever understands it completely. Now, that's not a cop-out. But, but it's one of those things where whether you believe that you were predestined because of your choice, okay, because of God's foreknowledge, or whether you just believe that God is king and he knows what's best and he will choose people and... They will become sons or daughters of God. You know, one's a little bit more of a Calvinistic perspective. One's a little bit more of Arminian perspective. But the truth is this. Is that our God, if I look at all the scripture, loves us like crazy. 
Okay? He pursues every one of us. I'm not so sure how he chooses and how he doesn't choose. But Paul was big on this whole choosing thing. I'm letting you know. Okay? And he just uses this term all the time. And says, hey, I just want you guys to understand that my suffering is going to help somebody come to faith. It's going to help somebody grow. And it's going to help somebody eventually experience heaven. Oh man, I'm all about enduring the suffering. Now, how many of us have that attitude? <laughs> you know what? The ministry is kind of hard. You know what? I have to show up every Monday night at Awana. Are you kidding me? You know? And you can just go right through and, and whatever the deal is. But Paul had the whole deal saying, hey, I just want you to know, because I am suffering, I don't think he was giddy, but I think he was kind of excited. All right? I am going to see people come to faith. I'm going to see people absolutely transform from the inside and be more useful and live abundant life. And they're going to enjoy heaven for eternity. You think this suffering stuff is, 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 is really, you know, that big of a deal? It's not that big of a deal. I'm just like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You know what? We need to hear this message. Because we have a tendency to sometimes feel a whole lot more sorry for ourselves than we ought to feel sorry for ourselves. Okay, because we don't have the right perspective. We don't see people absolutely unleashed and on fire and grateful and moving from death unto life. You know, and that isn't just some initial thing. That is something that God is doing continually in people who we have an opportunity to minister and to serve. I never feel sorry for those people who are in ministry, who are serving God with a full heart. There's times I want them to rest. There's times that things are really, really hard. I get it. But I think in perspective, when we finally step over the threshold, when we finally get to meet our Savior, when we finally understand what glory is all about, and we had some part in moving the kingdom forward, you are going to be so grateful. I am going to be so excited. I, and, and again, it, I mean, there's tons of songs, you know, especially maybe because singing makes it sound more holy or something like that. But, but you know, as soon as I open my eyes, you know, as soon as I cross that bridge, as soon as I see my Savior, boom, every, everything makes sense. It just does. It's just we're kind of dim right now. I hate to say that, but dim. We're a little dim. We have a little bit of fog. We have cataracts, you know, down here. You all know you're getting cataracts, right? My wife just found that out, and she's very upset. But it's true. That, we're that, all... That we're getting cataracts? Yeah. Every, yeah. Everyone is getting cataracts. Yes. Um, it's just some... Yeah. goosebumps actually when you when you said her name um, 
She's just one of those heroes. <laughs> uh, young children, one of the five missionaries that were slaughtered. Um, and nobody, nobody knew that would make a difference, ever. And they're not the only ones, it's just we know a lot about them. Okay. We know a lot about her husband. We know a lot about the five guys that went out there and sacrificed. And I was just, I think, talking with Sharon. I just said, what would it be like to see your husband Jim after all these years? Um, I don't know. I know what's, you know. But my guess is the gasp will be, it was worth it. It was worth all that. In fact, it's almost a Schindler's List moment. I don't think you can have regrets like this. I'm, I'm not sure of all the heaven stuff. But my guess is every one of us, if we do have that or the ability, will say, ooh, I think I could have done a little more. <laughs> I, I think I was a little more blinded than I, than I thought. I think I was a little more selfish. You know, I thought it wasn't that selfish, but I, I think maybe I, I was a little more selfish than I thought. I, I think I focused a little bit more on my needs. I, I get that. Um, worried a little bit more about my retirement than I needed to be. I, I don't know. But it feels a little bit like that. And Paul says, hey, suffering was not a big deal. You know what I think... Jesus, one of the main messages, if you read through the Gospels, and so many of you have read through a million times, but following God was counterculture. It, it really was. Over and over and over, Jesus said, it's going to cost you to be a God follower. One of the things I think we can do with our kids, one of the things we can do as a youth leader, one of the things is, if following Jesus is only really super attractive and it's really the best thing in the world and you're going to have abundant living, and do you all understand what that really means here? You know, that it, it will cost you. Because if you don't give up your life and your ambitions, you are never going to gain. You just won't. Jesus' message is, you follow me, it's going to be hard. That's how it is. You're going you're gonna to suffer. And I just think Paul understood that completely. Time's kind of flying by, and, and my wife wanted to make sure I got to at least this next section. So we're going we're gonna to read this. Um, chapter 2, starting at verse 11 through 13. Uh, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him... And if you mark your Bibles, I want you to mark this. I'm going to come back to it, and it will be helpful. But if we die with him, that's in the aorist tense, or if you just want to put the past tense. It will make it sense in a second. We will also live with him, or then we will also live with him. That would be a better way to translate it. If we endure hardship, presently endure hardship, it's a present tense, then... We will reign with him. 
if we deny him, and it's actually will deny him, or it's a future tense, then he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Now let me put this in perspective, and Gina will really like this part, I think. But most commentators will think this is a song. Okay, by the way, it's it's written. Um, it's something that probably, again, was well understood in the local church at that time. Okay, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. I'm getting that. But what I'm sharing with you, this is probably a song or a mantra or, or something that the early church had. And the reason that I think that is that the term is used five times by Paul, but it's not found anywhere in the scriptures. All right, He is not really quoting from the Old Testament, from the Septuagint. He's not quoting from anything right here. Now, there's bits and pieces that he could pull, but the truth is, he's going, hey, you guys all know this is, to, this is something we all believe, is, is really what he was saying. Now, we don't know why they all believe this, okay? But that's kind of what he was saying at this moment. Paul seemed to have used it to introduce an axiom. And again, most of you who remember geometry, axioms are these first truths. They're, they're the things that you use to, um, to um, prove everything else. Okay, They're the foundation of everything. So Paul actually uses this, I think, as a basic axiom in the early church. It was basically known and believed. And as I said, perhaps sung as a hymn. Um, but this is, this is what he's saying. Let, let me try to put this in perspective. If we die with him, we will also live with him. Some people think this is martyrdom. I don't think it's martyrdom in the context. I think what he's really talking about is, is Romans 6.4. When Paul says, we died with Christ. Okay, it's a one-time event, it's an aorist tense, it's something that has happened, and basically Paul is just saying this, I just want you to know, since we've died with him, it happened a long time ago, we're also going to live with him. Okay, it's just a promise. We died, we came to faith, alright, because Christ died on the cross, paid our debt, we died along with him, and you can put Romans 6, 4, and 5 right there, we'll also live with him. If you think it was, well, um, martyrdom, I'm not going to argue with you. I just don't think it makes sense. Secondly, if we keep enduring hardship, it's a present tense again, we will reign or rule together. Literally saying the kingdom will be advanced. Alright? If we endure this hardship the, the, the following Jesus stuff, then the kingdom will advance. That's pretty cool. Now, let me, let me just share something with you. God's message all the way through is consistent. In fact, what, I, what came to mind was the prophet Jeremiah. And if you would, turn your Bibles to Jeremiah 12. It's way to your left. For a, for a ways, but oh, Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so big though. It's so big. You're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be good. In Jeremiah 12, you got to remember, Jeremiah. Um, if if 
he had a boss, he would have been fired a long time ago. Because there were no converts. He was, everybody just wanted to stone him and kill him. Um, he, he, you know, Jesus, I mean, God himself said, I want you to go and be faithful, preach the word, but actually no one's going to ever respond. I, I just want you to know this. Okay. But here's Jeremiah. He starts off in chapter 12, and he's basically questioning God. He's a little bit perturbed with God, okay? He's actually just saying this. He's saying, God, I don't mean to complain, but actually he is complaining, all right? And he's going, how come all the bad guys are kind of winning? What, like, what's going on in all this kind of stuff? Hey, this following you is really hard, is what he was saying. And you know what, God's, you know what? This is hilarious. This just reminds me of my father. That's why I can say God the Father. Because... What what God responds is like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you are suffering a lot. He, he doesn't go there. He goes, you know what? Life is hard for you. Can I, let, let me give you a hug. He doesn't even do that, okay? Look, look what he says. <laughs> if racing against mere men make you tired, how will you race against the horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near Jordan? There was really what he was saying is this. He goes, he goes, really, buddy? Right, right now, life isn't even really hard, and you're complaining, okay? But when it really gets hard, what are you going to do? And this is kind of what God does. God is not actually trying to coddle. God is actually just trying to be realistic right now and say, I just want you to know something. Um, life, life and suffering sometimes happens, and it's hard. So, I just went back. If we keep enduring, back to our text, hardship, now, right now, the kingdom is going to advance. You're going to reign. We're going to rule together. This is awesome. And then here's the part where some of you um, are a little more confused. But if we deny him, it's in the future tense. Or really, I would even translate it, if you ever deny him, he will deny us. Now let me just say this. When you come to a place, and you're going, oh man, I've, I've, I've denied. I know I'm going to deny Jesus sometime. I know I'm not going to be faithful. I know, you know, what does that mean, man? Do I lose my salvation? Do I do this? Or, or am I going to, you know, not get reward? And, you know, that's not how God works. I just want you to know. So if there's a message in the scriptures that seem to go against contrary, it goes contrary against your understanding of who God is or how he normally works, it probably doesn't mean that. Now, I'm not saying it's a kappa. I'm just saying it probably doesn't. Okay? Because there's not going to be a contradiction here. So deny cannot be casual or temporary lapse of faith. I'm just letting you know. It, it's not something that all of a sudden, you know, you just got in a pressure situation and decide, okay, I'm going to deny God. No. Really what this, I believe, is saying is that true believers do remain faithful. It's kind of, I used to get this a lot in high school ministry. Well, you know what, my kid is off the deep end, my kid's making poor choices, my kid's going this direction. Uh, or what's really hard is that you're at a funeral. Or you're having the funeral, and the parents are meeting with you, and and you know that this 
kid was a foul ball when he died. He is choices, his poor choices, his sin or whatever, greatly um, increase the um, situation, the opportunity for death. All right. And the parents come to you as the pastor and say, well, you know, at six years old, I think my son received Christ. Now sign up to me to say that your son didn't receive Christ or did receive Christ. It, it isn't. But I can say this, okay, and I think there are people that make absolutely foolish choices, poor choices, are not walking with God, are not in that lower circle, and they die. I get it. They might even be in the midst of their own consequence. I get it. All right. It does not mean they lose their salvation. But what I am, what I believe here is that true believers do remain faithful. If you are regenerate, if you are a new person, you will never be put in a spot where you will totally deny God. I, I just don't think that. So if there is a person that is totally denying God, I guess where I would go is say, I, I'm not even sure that they really, I mean, not just a casual thing, but really, no, <laughs> I, I don't believe God. And you all know people in your life. But I do know this, it's not our job to be the judges in that whole thing. So really what I think Paul is saying is that, hey, you guys have all sung this hymn. And the hymn goes something like this. Hey, since we've died with him, because he died on the cross, we're going to live with him eventually. That's kind of a fun thing. Hey, if we keep enduring this hardship, we're going to reign together that kingdom of God is going to advance with power. And if we deny him, or ever deny him, that means probably we've just never been part of his family or scenario. If our faith is weak in the very end, okay, and this is where the hope is, and, and this is important, if we are unfaithful, let me retranslate that, and I don't know what your versions say, but something like this. If our faith is weak, or we do not have victorious faith, all right, not saving faith, that's very different, if we are not experiencing victorious faith, well, you know what? God is still faithful. He is faithful. He will never deny His own. And so actually there's great hope in this hymn or great hope in this poem or great hope in these words or, as Paul said, in this faithful, trustworthy saying there is great hope here. And he's trying to pump his tires. If we put all this in perspective, okay, Paul is reminding Timothy of some critical things in his life. Some has to do with ministry. Some has to do just with himself on the journey. And I think if we look at this and we just ask God and recognize again, just some key questions. I mean, God, I want to be a faithful servant. I think everyone, as I look around, I, I, we'd all raise our hand. Yeah, I, I want to be a good God follower. I, I, want to, I want to grow in my relationship with Him. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, there's some things that you need to remember. And those, the, that's the list. Remember, we shared with you, they're very strong. They're exhortations. Paul is not trying to, again, pamper Timothy at all. 
In fact, he is laying it all out on the line and saying, you know, Timothy, I'm not around much longer. I'm not around much longer. I'm not around much longer. So, I'm not around much longer. So, I'm not around much longer. Just keep saying it, you know, and saying, hey, this is what is critical. And as you do, you're going to think through your life, your journey, and it's going to look just a little bit different. You know, next week uh, actually is our last week until we come back in August, if you can hold off that long. We will uh, certainly finish up Chapter 2, hoping to do that. And uh, then we will um, literally, it's, it's mostly because I'm gone almost every Tuesday in July for something very important. Uh, although I just want you to know, I was suffering last week. I want you to know this. I had tickets to the Sox game that were available to me, very free, free parking, very good seats. And although the Sox really stink at this moment, I do like free tickets. So I just was kind of suffering for that. No, I, I won't. I, I don't have any suffering um, planned. I just want you to know they won that game. They've only won like yeah four games. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry. We'll, we'll stop there. Um,